Well, there's been so much going on the past few weeks. Sometimes stories go by, you don't see them happen. But this one I found really interesting. Uh, Late last week, the federal minister of justice ordered an investigation into the 1995-1994, rather, murder convictions of two indigenous sisters from Saskatchewan, raising hopes of exoneration in a case that has long been a focus for justice advocates in this country. David Lametti notified lawyers for Odelia and Narissa Quezance on Thursday that their applications for a ministerial conviction review will now move to the investigation phase. It's the second step in a four-stage conviction review process. The sisters were convicted, as I mentioned, in 1994 of the second-degree murder of Anthony Joseph Dolph, a farmer uh, from Kamsak, Saskatchewan. The sister's cousin, Jason Kashane, who was at the scene of the crime and was 14 at the time, they were 18 and 20, has admitted numerous times, apparently, to the killing. Now, Odelia Quezance was recently granted day parole. Her sister, though, remains in prison. Uh, last week, Odelia took part in a press conference on Parliament Hill to raise awareness about their case, as did Kim Bode. He's the National Vice Chief of the Congress of Aboriginal Peoples. Here's some of what they had to say. First, Kim Bode, then Odelia. In 1994, Canada's justice system stole the lives of Odelia and Nerissa Quezans. For nearly 30 years later, and the justices continue. Odelia and Nerissa have been wrongfully convicted of a murder of Anthony Dolph. Two life sentences for a crime another person has recently confessed to. 19 years since the two, it's been 19 years since the two saw each other, the two sisters. To be free today. I'm asking to be free because I know in my heart I did not kill Mr. Dolph. I'm sorry that happened, but I can only, you know, I'm just asking my sister is still suffering in prison and she doesn't deserve that. And I don't deserve it. That's Odelia Quezance at a press conference in Ottawa last week. Ontario Independent Senator Kim Pate was also there. She is also one of the co-authors of a recent report calling for the exoneration of 12 Indigenous women, including the sisters, and for their cases to be reviewed for possible miscarriages of justice. Uh, before becoming a senator, Pate was a nationally renowned advocate who had spent nearly 40 years working in and around the legal and penal systems in this country. And Kim Pate joins me now from Ottawa. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me. This is uh, this this case is is I, I don't know how many people have know about it at least recently, but it, what drew you to this case and why do you include it amongst the twelve that that you think really stand out in terms of potential miscarriages of justice? Mm-hmm. Well, I've known the sisters since they came into um, into the prison system in the early nineties. And uh, like the other 10 women who are outlined in the, um, in the document you mentioned, there are systemic factors that led to the miscarriages of justice for them, including the fact that uh, virtually all of them were in residential schools, uh, and both of the sisters were, or and or they were first or second generation residential school survivors. Almost all of them were victimized in uh, sexual, physical uh, abuse as children and as young adults. Many of them were uh, then when they acted to try and repel or, uh, in, in the sister's case, repel and in other women's cases, defend themselves against abusers. They were often criminalized themselves, even though they hadn't been protected from the abuse perpetrated against them. And then even when the abuse became uh, known or as in the sister's case, the Crown Prosecutor 
uh, knew that there had been a confession from their younger cousin. Uh, The biases in prosecutorial discretion um, continued. Uh, Many of them uh, were found guilty or were induced to plead guilty to manslaughter. Many of them were found guilty of either murder or were induced to plead guilty to murder or manslaughter um, in exchange for, um, you know, some evidence of the context being put into place. But the problem is when you have a mandatory minimum sentence, there's no no ability for judges to exercise their discretion. And then in the prison system, most of them uh, were placed in high security because of what uh, the Auditor General just last week also released a report pointing out the uh, the fact that the classification system and the entire manner in which uh, women, in particular Indigenous women, are treated uh, is subject to racism. And so many of them were held in maximum security, even though they didn't pose a risk and their risk assessments, the classification tools may have brought them out at lower security, but they were then increased to higher security and kept without access to programs, more limited access to conditional release, and as many as 60% of the Indigenous women were released straight from maximum security into the community. And so the, we see the, uh, the very same issues that the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls inquiries pointed out lead to Indigenous women being more likely to be disappeared, murdered, made homeless are the very same issues that lead to them being more likely to be criminalized and imprisoned. And in terms of these 12 women, there are likely more. Uh, uh, there are certainly more. But these are women who I have known for decades, and uh, many of whom, even though they may have had factual innocence or they may have had legal defenses, themselves were raised and told repeatedly by whether it was in their community, in their um in, by society, by the legal system, that they were responsible, and so had a, you know part of the challenge was for a long time them not recognized that they deserved anything more than what had happened and what had been doled out to them through the criminal legal system. Uh, so that's, uh, that's basically how I came to focus on these twelve. On these on these twelve, uh, Senator Pay. One of the things that's most striking, of course, with the Quezon sisters is they were so very young when they were convicted, and now they're not. I mean, what you're talking about right. 18 and 20 when they were convicted. They're now 50 and 48. Uh, the 48-year-old mm-hmm. is still in jail. Um, Odelia is still is on day parole, but technically still incarcerated. Uh, why, have, why have they been in jail so long if there, were, if there were doubts, any doubts? And I gather the government of Saskatchewan doesn't believe so, but, but where, where has this not worked out in terms of the evidence that was or wasn't there and, and, and how come it's taken so long for this to come to light? Well, one of the realities is the minute anybody um, expresses doubt about whether they should have been convicted, it automatically increases the likelihood they'll be classified as higher security and that they'll have less access to programs and less likely to be released on parole. Why? Well, as we know from David Milgard, who was a big advocate for Delia and Nerissa, uh, where you claim innocence or where you uh, challenge the extent to which you're responsible, that's often held against you as indicative of you not taking responsibility for the thing you have been convicted of without any context for um, all of the issues we know that give rise to wrongful convictions. And as uh, Justices Harry LaForme and Juanita Westmoreland-Traore pointed out in a the report they did for the Minister of Justice last year, 
he asked them to look at these two justices, one uh, indigenous, one black, asked them, them to look particularly at the conviction review process and how to make it more um, fair for individuals. And one of the shocking things they they exposed, many of us knew this, but uh, the public at large probably didn't was not aware, was that of the 20 cases that the government of Canada through the the um, Department of Justice has reviewed over the past uh, as many years, 20 years, all have been men. Only one was Indigenous and only one was Black. That is clearly not the extent to which we see miscarriages of justice in this country. And so it really exposes the racism and the biases of the system. Add to that when people are released on parole, many people, uh, you know, there's a common misconception that you're on parole, you're free. Everything you do is monitored, including behavior that would never be criminalized if you weren't already under sentence. So missing a curfew, um, being, you know, traveling too far out of your your um, circumference in terms of the area you're allowed to travel in. All of those can give rise to breaches. Being in a relationship, have starting a friendship. There's often what uh, the women themselves, one of them uh, who's also part of this group, calls the five-minute rule. They're told by their parole officers that within five minutes of meeting someone, they have to determine whether they have a criminal record. And, you know, few of us would be comfortable enough in our own skin, let alone if we were also subject to parole conditions and other uh, monitoring to the minute you meet someone, ask them, you know, imagine if before I came on, I said, okay, Ben, before we talk, I'd like to know, do you have a criminal record? Because I'm not allowed to associate with anybody who has a criminal record. Why would that be? It would, you know, and so, uh, so there are all kinds of ways in which the violations happen and, and people end up back in prison. And that's part of what has happened for Odelia and Nerissa as well. And, um, you know, sometimes when That's, women have children, then they have child sick, they go to the hospital, they miss curfew. So there are all kinds of reasons why. But um, the long and the short is uh, none of these women were reconvicted of new offenses, even if they were con- if they were returned to prison for breaching a condition. I'm speaking with Independent Senator Kim Pate uh, in Ottawa tonight about um, 12 cases, but specifically two that have come up uh, of sisters, Indigenous sisters from Saskatchewan convicted in a 1994 murder. Uh, One of them has been in jail ever since, 30 years now, the other one on day parole, but technically still in the system. Uh, And this is a case that the Justice Minister has now agreed to review. We'll talk about the review next, what it could bring, um, and also just about some of the other broader issues that that, uh, that come up due to this uh, that you looked at in your report, Senator Pate. That's coming up. Independent Senator from Ontario, Kim Pate is my guest this half hour, also a longtime advocate within the justice system. We're talking about uh, a report that uh, Senator Pate uh, re- co-authored and was released a little while back about 12 different cases involving uh, Indigenous women that are seen to be potential miscarriages of justice, including one case of two sisters uh, convicted in the 1994 murder uh, in Saskatchewan that Justice Minister David Lametti has now uh, requested investigation into um, the cases of Odelia and Nerissa Quaisance. Uh Senator Pay, what happens now? Uh, what happens with this review and how big a deal is it? Well, it's a very big uh, step in the right direction, it, but it's only one step. And it, it indicates that the minister has acknowledged it looks as though there, uh, you know, basically the, the language is used. There's 
He believes there may have been a miscarriage of justice. That's a big step. It means that he has appointed someone to investigate this. The next step would be a review of uh, their cases with an, uh, an assessment then following as to whether there should and some recommendations about what measures he could take. Uh, it could range from exoneration to a new trial uh, or to nothing, sadly. Uh, but in, in all likelihood, we're very hopeful it will result in uh, movement forward. Ideally, it would be an expungement and exoneration of the, the two women. Uh, but uh, it could end up with a retrial, which means they would have to go back to court in Saskatchewan. Uh, in many cases at that stage, the court may decide that, you know, with the passage of time and uh, and the passage of individuals who might otherwise have been available to give evidence, they may decide not to proceed. They could substitute an acquittal. Uh, so there's a range of options open, and uh, we're very hopeful that it would be, that the minister will decide that they deserve exoneration. In addition, um, we wrote to the Minister of Public Safety, who has the authority to also uh, recommend to the Governor-General that there be a royal prerogative of mercy uh, granted for both the Cuzon sisters, but also for the other 10 women, one of whom, sadly, um, died in April, and so it, it would have to be posthumous for her. But uh, those are some of the options. And we're also, as you know from the report, we're also recommending that the recommendations that have been made by law commission, sentencing commissions, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Inquiry, as well as a review done by Justice Ratushni on the cases of women in the 1990s who had used lethal force against abusive partners. That the recommendations are that we eliminate mandatory minimum penalties. And we've said that uh, the government has a bill currently that's uh, just being about to be voted on in Parliament in the House of Commons that will then come to us in the Senate, Bill C-5, which eliminates some, but fewer than, well, really it's about a third, fewer than half of the mandatory minimum penalties that have been ruled unconstitutional. So we also recommend that um, the minister refer to the Law Commission that has just been recently um, reinvigorated with some resources and so should be up and running soon or the um, the new body that is due to be set up that um, David Milgard and others were advocating for, the new conviction review process, that right. they look at mand all mandatory minimum penalties, but in the meantime, Bill C-5 be amended to allow judges where a mandatory minimum has not been repealed by that bill to have the ability to structure discretion in appropriate cases to not impose a mandatory minimum penalty. So those are I'll, some I only have a, I only at. have a few more minutes left here. I wouldn't mind getting back to the Quezon sisters because it's such a fascinating case. I appreciate yeah. the much broader things, but but I think this mm -hmm. case says so much. So th there is someone who has stepped forward, and we only have about two, so I'll make this question quick. Uh, there is someone, a cousin, who stepped forward and said, I did it. Uh, the Crown in right. Saskatchewan says, we don't see a basis to reconsider this at all. Uh, one of the sisters was just denied parole again. Um, what hope do you have that they, that they we'll see uh, that this will be overturned anytime soon. Well, I think it will be because one of the things the Saskatchewan government is likely trying to um, support their decision makers previously is that confession was made before, before Nerissa and Odelia were convicted. So it was something the police knew about. 
It was something presumably the prosecutor knew about and should have been taken into account. Uh, why they decided to still proceed against the sisters is an obvious question that remains unanswered. And it's uh, beyond unfortunate and smacks of a continuation of perhaps racism and misogyny to not go back and look at who who mucked up here, who decided to proceed. We already know that there are procedural uh, issues in terms of the both of the girls, as they were then, were kept in custody in a police lockup for at least five days when they were supposed to have been transferred to a provincial jail. Who knows what was happening during that period? Who knows um, if there are records still exist of the questioning that would have happened? So there are many, many questions about the procedures that happened to them in in Saskatchewan. And so the fact that there is a confession that the individual who is now long since been an adult, he's also in his 40s now, uh, he indicates, yes, it was him who did it. He has confessed, um, you know, more recently, just in the last couple of years uh, on uh, television. And so it really behooves both governments, Saskatchewan and the federal government, to take action. We'll be watching. Senator Payne, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you very much, Ben, and thank you for all your um, work covering this and so many other important issues.